Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. Today we're going to talk about God's outrageous grace as we continue uh, the Outrageous Christmas series. You know, when we hear the word grace, you would see, if you go to church to church, you would see many different uh, topics on grace. You would see pastors fall on a whole spectrum of theologies of grace. Some people would accuse some preachers of not preaching grace at all, that they would preach law. They would preach that you have to follow all of these regulations and all of these rules to please God. And then they would say that church would produce a very legalistic church trying to earn something from God. Then on the other side of the spectrum, there would be people that are accused of being what is called hyper grace, where you'd say, listen, God's grace is gonna cover anything that you want. And you know, just keep, keep living how you wanna live. And that produces a selfish church because you say, listen, I'm just gonna do whatever I want and God's just gonna continue to, to to do whatever, you know, or he's going to continue to pour out uh, his grace upon us. And some people in the middle, there's like this mix. They, they preach law and you should be following these roles, but then God's going to cover it. So try really hard. And, you know, sometimes God's grace and it just gets messy because then you get Christians who are confused. And I believe that what we need to do is realize that the law is important. It's extremely important because it validates and it proves that we are sinners, that we need a savior that without Jesus Christ, we can't get right with God. So it says when the law was placed, we realize that we are sinners. So now what we do is we realize we need a savior and that's where grace comes in. So grace is, is two parts really that I wanna talk about today. It's a receiving of the full forgiveness of God of all the sins that we've ever committed, are committing and ever will commit. It's fully covered, but it's also an empowerment. It's not just a receiving, but it's an empowerment to live a holy life. So grace is not passive, it should be active in our lives. And that's what I wanna talk about today. When we look at the Bible from beginning to end, it shows God's grace. You don't have to wait until Jesus' blood was shed to see the grace of God. In fact, if you look even back in the Garden of Eden, we look at it as God punishing Adam and Eve when he kicked them out of the garden. That was actually a sign of his grace because he knew if they ate of the tree of life after they sinned, that they would be stuck in their bodies forever living on this earth, caught in spiritual death. So we think God was mad at him, he kicked them out. No, God loved him enough that they shielded them with angels so they were not able to eat of that. So even though they would die a physical death, they'd be able to live forever ever if their faith was in God. Throughout the entire Old Testament, throughout the entire New Testament is the grace of God. The grace of God is best demonstrated, I believe, in the life of Jesus. In Hebrews 1, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God. So if we want to know what grace looks like, look at the life of Jesus. I don't want you to think that grace is some intangible thing that he kind of sends via, you know, Amazon Prime. It'll be here in two days. I want you to know grace is tangible. It's real. Grace is Jesus Christ. Grace is the Holy Spirit living in you when you say yes to Jesus. So I want you to engage God as not just the grace giver, but grace himself. Amen? I want to read you four verses that we're not going to talk about the rest of this sermon. But for those of you who want to go back and understand and study more of the topic of grace, these are just four verses that show different aspects of the grace of God that we're going to get into the rest of the message. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, the word became flesh. Who are they talking about there? Jesus. Thank you. Good answer. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
So Jesus came and actually lived among us. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Now look at this next phrase, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was full of grace. He is still full of grace. He's the epitome of grace. Jesus is grace. In Ephesians 2.8, one of the most popular verses on grace, it says, for it is by the grace, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we know grace is a gift from God that allows us to be saved. And it says in verse nine, not by work so that no one can boast. The way that God set this up is that not one person could ever walk the face of this earth and say, look at me, I did it. It's saying it's only by grace that we are saved through faith. So when we put, all we have to do is believe. We believe in Jesus as the one who can forgive all of our sins and empower us to live a life of holiness while we are on this earth looking forward to our eternal destination. And it's only through faith by the gift of grace from God. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it talks about grace being sufficient. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This is the empowering part, where grace is not just, and, and I love the illustration of grace that one, one of the uh, preachers said, grace is like a waterfall. It's a continuous overflowing of forgiveness over your life but it's not just that receptive part. Now grace is sufficient, giving you power in your weakness. So again, none of us are boasting. None of us are saying we can do this. We're saying the weaker that I realize that I am, the more grace that can flow through me. So it's not just the receiving, it's also the giving. And one more verse I wanna look at is back in Ephesians chapter four, verse seven. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, if you look at those verses following, this is not like uh, great, uh, Jesus apportioned a whole lot of grace here and just a little bit of grace here and then just a tiny little bit of grace. So all of his sins are forgiven, half and just a little. It's not talking about forgiveness here. It's talking about gifts. So these are like your spiritual gifts that you actually get to operate in to build up the church, to witness to the lost and so on. So now he's saying, I've apportioned certain grace gifts to this one and certain ones to this one and certain ones to this one. That's why she shouldn't be comparing herself to him, shouldn't be comparing herself to him because Jesus gave you a unique set of gifts. So you have a lane to run in and we run all in the same direction, advancing his kingdom. Are you guys catching this? If you, look, if you look at, just like a brother and sister at the end of Christmas, you should, like a brother shouldn't look and say, well, I really wanted that pink sweater. I wanted that dress. And the girl's like, I wanted that PS4. No, they should be happy with the gifts they receive. So Christ apportioned gifts to you. You receive them. You use them for the benefit of other people and run your lane. A basic definition of grace is this, unmerited favor unearned benefit, undeserved kindness. Pastor once said that grace is God's amazing gift of forgiveness and the power to live with dignity in the present and with hope for the future. If you've been around church at all, you've heard the great evangelist Billy Graham. I want you to read, I wanna read a paragraph about grace from him. 
It says, grace is the unmerited favor of God toward mankind. The word grace is used over 170 times in the New Testament alone. Grace is not bought. It is a free gift of almighty God to needy mankind. When I picture Jesus Christ dying on the cross, I see the free gift of God's grace in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Your human mind with its philosophy of an equal return for favors done can hardly comprehend the full meaning of this grace of God. But when you catch it by the inspiration of God, its full meaning, you will leave the limits of human reasoning and revel in the riches of the divine truth and privilege. Yes, the grace of God is a reality. It's been tested in the crucible of human experience and has been found to be more than an equal for the problems and sins of humanity. That's Billy Graham speaking on grace. Now, I wanna just show you briefly the difference between mercy and grace. It's one full package. God gives it all to you. I just think it's good to know what gifts you are actually receiving from him. So the main difference of this, of mercy and grace is this. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And grace is getting what you do not deserve. So I'm gonna give you two examples of this. The first thing I need is a volunteer. Who likes to speed a lot when they drive? Look, nobody wants, Jasmine, Chandler, your father's right there. And he pointed to her as her, I saw her hand, get up here. Wow, I didn't think anybody was gonna wanna admit that in front of like 300 other people. Everybody say hi, Jasmine. Say, slow down, Jasmine. My goodness, you were like jumping out of your seat. And ja okay, Jasmine, I want you to drive around, but drive around too fast. You could just walk fast. Okay. Okay, so Jasmine is speeding. I'm a police officer. I see it. I know Eric because I'm from Cannonsburg, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is his daughter, but I still have to get him. I still have to get Jasmine. So the siren goes on. You busted. Come on back this way just so everybody can see that you got caught. <laughs> Say, Jasmine, Jasmine, you should have slowed down. So Jasmine gets pulled over by a police officer, okay? Now, mercy is Jasmine not getting what she deserves to get. So what she deserves to get is a speeding ticket. Yeah, so this would be the speeding ticket. I know Eric, because I'm from Cannonsburg. I know Jolie. I know Jasmine. So I feel bad for Jasmine. She's young. She's just driving. You know, she forgot to put her turn signal on. So mercy is this, taking the speeding ticket and tearing it up. Did she deserve it? Yeah. Yes, but I did not give it to her, okay? That's an example of mercy. Grace would be, Jasmine, I know you, you deserve the speeding ticket because you were speeding. I don't condone speeding, but because I care about you, because I love you, not only am I not going to give you a speeding ticket, this is not for real, don't oh, run yeah. away with this. <laughs> I'm going to give you $100. That's grace. <laughs> now, do you see how outrageous that is? Picture getting pulled over by a police officer, not a police officer, and not only getting your ticket torn up, but walking or well, driving away slower than you were before with $100 in your hand. That's almost scandalous. Give me that back, thank you. Okay. You can sit down. Give Jasmine a round of applause. I'm gonna give one more example uh, for, for what this is, just to draw this out. High schoolers, who does not like to study? 
Oh, Hannah, come on up. Hannah's hand went up fast. Everybody say Hannah. Hannah. Start studying more. Okay, so mercy and grace. So Hannah, there was a big, big, big final in for right before Christmas, and she didn't study for it. So she took the test. She failed it miserably. Next day comes, the teacher has the grades. The bell rings for class. And the teacher is passing out all of the tests, okay? So as he gets to Hannah West, he comes to her and he shows her what she got on the test, which is in... F. She didn't study. So this is what she deserves, right? So mercy is this. Hannah, I care about you. You have a purpose in life. I want you to go further. You need to pass this class. So I'm going to rip up the F. That's the mercy of a teacher, not giving her what she did deserve. What would be crazy and outrageous and what would be a sign of grace is not just not giving her the F, but actually handing her a paper and recording it as an an A+. Hannah, congratulations. Give Hannah a round of applause. She has an A+. You can go ahead and sit down. Do you see how outrageous his grace is? We can say, listen, I thank you for the mercy of God. I thank you for not giving me the punishment that I do deserve. Mercy, spiritually speaking, is us not getting hell us not getting an eternal separation from God because he loves us. Grace is all of the favor and all of the blessing that we do not deserve here or in the life to come because he loves us. They are both active in our life. We need to learn how to receive them and live within them. Let's take a look at a great picture of grace in Romans chapter 3. The reference will be on the screen, but if you want to turn with me, I like how it's stated in the New Living Translation, conversationally speaking, so I'm going to read out of these verses here. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21, it says, Now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. That doesn't mean that you should live an unholy life. That doesn't mean you just throw everything away and live how you want. But he's saying, we can't live up to the law anyway. So it says, without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So watch this. We're, not, we're no longer trying to prove ourselves to God. We're no longer trying to do the right things for God. What we're doing is putting our faith in Christ. We're believing the fact that God sent his son to cover all of our sins. And when we re- receive this outrageous, astounding grace of God, guess what we want to do? We want to live a holy life because now we're empowered to live the holy life through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, it says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, what is that? That's unmerited favor, kindness, generosity, freely makes us right in his sight. This is what God did for us. This is what God did for you. It's from his perspective, we are completely clean. This is the amazing thing about God is he never loses his own sight of of his own perspective. Even when we lose sight, 
Even when we say, I feel like a dirty sinner, I feel like I've failed, I feel like I've done one too many things to receive his grace, God never loses his own perspective. He always knows that from his own sight, you are saved, you are clean, you are forgiven. It goes on in verse 25 to say this. I'm sorry, the second sentence in verse 24. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our own sins. I follow. Now, now you're seeing mercy and grace mixed in. He's freeing us from a penalty that we deserved. Verse 25, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life and shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past time. So follow this. He's removing all penalty of our sin. And he held back punishing those before Jesus came because God knew there would be a fullness of time, which we celebrate as Christmas, when the king would come and be born in flesh. Verse 26 says, he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Now, other translations just say the word just, but if you look at those words, fair and just, it doesn't actually seem too fair and just when you think about it, huh? When you think about it from someone else's perspective, somebody that's hurt you bad, maybe even when you were a child, someone that's abused you verbally, physically, when someone has lied to you, when someone has backstabbed you, when someone has left you completely isolated in life, It doesn't seem too fair and just to think that they would be completely forgiven, completely set free, and never face the punishment that you feel they deserve. But yet, when you think about it in your own life, you think about all the people that you've lied to, all the people that you've hurt, all the people that you've stabbed in the back, all the wrong things that you've done, And you can look up at your heavenly father and say, thank you that you hold not one of those things against me. Thank you that your grace is like a waterfall of forgiveness, that I am completely right in your sight. Now you're a little bit more thankful for it, huh? Fair and just because he's God. It might seem outrageous to us, but it's actually God's way of doing life. I'm not going to read through these verses, but in Matthew chapter 20, the first 16 verses, I'm just going to kind of scroll through some of them. What I call this is kingdom payroll. This is God's kingdom and how he pays out, spiritually speaking. In verse one, it talks about a landowner going out early in the morning to hire workers for the day. So he's going, he's walking around the city and at nine o'clock in the morning, he sees some guys that aren't hired for the day. And he says, hey, I want to pay you a full day's wage. Come with me. He still wants some more workers, so he goes out. It's at nine o'clock, so at noon, he goes out and grabs some more. Three o'clock, he's walking around, and he finds some more to come in. And at five o'clock, now how many of you know it's getting toward the end of the workday, even in the Eastern culture, right? Five o'clock in the evening, he grabs some more people and sends them into the vineyard. Well, all these people, so some, some of them have been working since nine in the morning, and some just started at five. I'm not sure what time they would have ended, maybe seven o'clock or something, The landowner sends the foreman to gather all of the workers and to start paying them. But he says, I want to do it this way. I want to have the last be paid first. So those who just started a few hours earlier are going to get paid. Well, the foreman walks up 
to the people who started at four or five o'clock, and he gives them a full day's wage. So how many of you know, if you started work at nine o'clock and somebody started at five and you're at the end of the line and you see the guy who's been working for two hours get a full day's wage, what are you thinking? Money, right? You're thinking you're gonna get paid a lot more than them. Guys have started at three, full day's wage. Guys started at noon, full day's wage. Guys started at nine, full day's wage. Well, guess what? The guys that started earlier on and midway through, they are mad. They start asking this guy, what in the world are you doing? We thought we were gonna get more money than them. That is not fair. And this is how the landowner answers in verse 13. Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted, I, I, the landowner, right? Parable of God. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last will be first then, and those who will be first will be last. This is God's outrageous grace, that at no matter what phase of life you enter into the vineyard to do God's work, you still receive eternal forgiveness, eternal grace, and eternal life. And this is when some of us just get jealous and get mad, right? We see this person, he's lived his whole life. Maybe people that have murdered people, people that have raped people, people that have hurt people very badly. And on their deathbed, they say yes to Jesus. And they don't receive any of their eternal punishment that they deserve their whole life. It seems scandalous, doesn't it? This is your heavenly father's outrageous grace. You think of how bad you've messed up. You think of your worst sin. Start thinking of other people that have done worse things than you. And if you can believe that God can pour out his forgiveness on them, then you can receive it also. This is his outrageous grace. It doesn't seem fair, does it? (laughs) Until we know that we've received it. Grace is not a license to sin. You hear words like overflowing waterfall of forgiveness. Some some people, not many, but some people have taken that as, hey, if you're going to forgive me, I'm just going to live the way I want to. When you catch the heart of a loving father who has poured out forgiveness upon you through the blood of his son, there's no way you want to go on messing up. There's no way you want to go on living in your sinful ways. Back in Romans chapter five, there's a few verses that teach on this. In verse 20, it says this, chapter five, I should have had you stay there in Romans when we were in three. Romans chapter five, verse 20, it says, God's law was given, I've mentioned this before, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. That's not mean, that's not mean of God. God's just a holy God. He's without sin. So there's a system put in place, and we've preached on this before. There was a system put in place to prove people's sinfulness because they had a chance to go up that mountain. The Israelites had a chance to go and be a holy priesthood in the Old Testament. They chose not to. They said, Moses, we're afraid of what he's going to do to us. You go up, you get all the things we're supposed to do, and you come back. And God says, if that's what you want, because I'm giving you free will, that's fine. I'll give you what you need to do to be a holy priesthood. Here, be perfect. That's what the law said. Just one simple thing in those 500 and some laws, be perfect. 
And how many can be perfect? None of us. So that's what this verse is saying. The law was given so that all people could see how imperfect they are, how sinful they are. It says, but as people sinned more and more, now this is where it gets scandalous and outrageous. God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Now in the earthly sense, a child sins more and more and the parent gets more and more frustrated. More and more, you know, lack of patience, all that stuff. But it's saying as sin abounded, grace abounded more. I love that verse. Now, does God condone sin? No. God is holy. There is nothing impure, unjust, or imperfect about him. But we have a different view of sin than he does. Because we look at sin as offending us. Because my kid was mean to me. That person who hurt me was mean to me. I'm hurt. So I don't like their sin. And we look at God as this weak person who's like mad at us when we sin. No, God loves you enough and he knows how sin affects you negatively and he knows how sin will destroy your life that he doesn't want you to have anything with it. It's a completely different perspective. So now he sees your sin and he's saying, man, they keep messing up. I'm pouring more grace on them. Oh, they keep messing up. I'm pouring more grace. And he's not getting angry at us because the, the, the payment has been paid through the blood of Jesus. So now the forgiveness keeps pouring and pouring and pouring on us. Well, that seems unfair. They're just living a life of, of sin and they're just going off. Yeah, but God sees them and his heart breaks for them because he knows they're destroying their own life through sin. So he's just gonna keep pouring it and pouring it and pouring it knowing that one day, one day, if they just let their hearts soften toward the Lord a little bit, they'll turn back to him and say, oh my goodness, your amazing grace. Your amazing grace, how sweet it sounds, right? Your amazing grace, it saved a wretch like me. Oh my goodness, I was so far. I was so lost. I was blind. And now I see you. I see your grace. It's how outrageous his grace is. Verse 21, it says, so just as sin rolled over people, and brought them to death. Now God's wonderful grace rolls instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus. So follow this out very simply. Adam sinned. Now he brought sin into the world. Now sin rolled over all people. That caused spiritual death and then physical death, of course, also. But it says, now grace rolls over all people. So Jesus is called the second Adam in the New Testament. So now Jesus comes, fulfills all the requirements of the law, dies the perfect death and becomes the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So now no more does sin roll over us. Grace rolls over us now. That's where the forgiveness comes in that even though our flesh dies, our spirit, our soul will live forevermore. If you go down to Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it goes on. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Do you know that Paul, I was reading, reading a few days ago, it's later on in Romans, Paul was accused of being a hyper-grace preacher. Did you know that? He says, do you know what they say about me? They think that I say you can live however you want and just be forgiven. So Paul's making it clear here. Should we? Because we know that the grace is going to keep coming and coming and coming, should we go on sinning more and more? It says, of course not. Of course not. Because he had a revelation of who his father was and how outrageous he truly was. It says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 
Then in verse seven, it says, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. This is what I want you to catch here. God's grace is not just a gift being poured out on you. It is. It's a constant forgiving of your sin and your fault and your inadequacy, but it's also that power that lives within you to live above and beyond the bondage of sin. We've died to the power of sin in our life. That's the sin nature. So may we still sin sometimes? Yes, possibly we will, but that's the action. That's the verb. That's not the state of being. You're no longer a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint who has been saved. And now God's grace is coming over you and pouring and pouring and empowering and empowering. We've got to get that out of our minds because I've said it for many years too. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Show me that in the Bible. It's a phrase that a lot of Christians use. Don't call yourself a sinner. Might you sin sometimes? Yes, that's the verb. Look at how many times sin is used as a noun throughout there, throughout the entire New Testament. You have died to sin. Your sin nature is dead the moment you say yes to Jesus. Now you live above and beyond the bondage of sin. One of the most outrageous stories of God's grace, and we're going to finish here. I won't read all of it, is in the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You could turn with me there. Again, I'll read some verses here. I actually believe it can be called God's outrageous grace or outrageous grace of the father. Because when we say prodigal son, what's our focus on? The son. Our focus is on the son. The son represents us who fall very far short of God's glory. But the focus should actually be on the father because when our shift change or when our perspective shifts and our perspective changes and we start looking out the, out, at the outrageous grace of the Father, then we'll see the image of God through this man. So in Luke chapter 15, God, or Jesus tells a story of a man who had two sons. The younger one, right, who's supposed to get his inheritance like after the father passes away and after the first son gets the double portion. So this is completely out of line, completely uncalled for, asking for this. And the younger son says this in verse 12, I want my share of your estate now before you die. How many of you know you don't do that? You don't ask for that. So so the father actually agreed. You know what the father could have, should have done, would have done, is spit in his face. This is a disgrace for him to say, I want my stuff now. And you know what the father does? He agrees because the father gave him free will and free choice. The father did not try to control this child he agreed to divide his wealth between the two sons. So the younger son, he wanted his selfish desires met now, and the father didn't refuse. It seems outrageous to me. Verse 13, a few days later, the young, pa- the young son packed up all of his belongings. He moved to a distant land. It says here, there he wasted all of his money in wild living. So basically what this represents is us taking all of the unmerited favor from the Father and then abusing it. We're walking away from the Father and we're taking the grace that's been bestowed upon us and we're wasting it in sinful living. So it didn't make the Father happy during this time, but I want you to see, because he knew. The Father knew that sin would destroy his son's life. But if you continue on with the story, what did the Father do? He kept waiting and waiting 
and watching. And though it doesn't say, I believe, he kept praying. Again, it's a parable. Verse 14, 15, 16, you see money ran out, a great famine swept, swept the land, and the man, the younger son, began to starve. He goes to a local farmer. Now, he, he was living in the, the father's house. And now he's going to a farmer saying, can you please just, just, just let me feed these pods to the pigs? And he got to a point where pig food looked hungry or looked uh, tasteful to him. But it says nobody gave him anything. So this young man has wasted it all. He deserves the biggest, loudest, I told you so, from the father. He deserves the biggest spanking, the biggest, you're out of my family, you're dead to me. That's what this younger son deserved. And you and I know it because we'd be feeling the same thing in our heart if someone did that to us. Or is it just me? <laughs> it's getting really tense in here. <laughs> Y'all can think, I'm holy, I would say, no, I forgive you as soon as you come back. I would be mad. How dare you? I've saved my whole life for this. I gave you your portion when I should have died and then blessed you right before I've died and then given my older son a double portion and then you yours and then you live with my legacy in mind. And he's wasted it all. Fortunately, it says, finally, when the younger son came to his senses, Pastor Juan's taught on this before, where he has a conscious awareness of his sin. So it's in his mind, oh my goodness, I messed up big time. He said to himself, at home, the hired servants have enough food to spare, and I'm out here dying of hunger. Now, this is what he says. He's going to go home to his father in verse 18. He's going to say, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called a son. Can I please be a hired servant? How many of you feel like that sometime? If you've gone real far from God, if you've just messed up, and you're just in this dark place, and you say, listen, I finally realized what I'm doing. I'm gonna go back to God and say, listen, I don't deserve any more of your blessings. I don't deserve any more of your grace. I don't deserve any more of your forgiveness. Just please let me get into heaven by the skin of my teeth, please. I don't need anything else from you. Please, I just wanna, I just wanna make sure I'm still in. And that's what this son felt like. But he understood something, that he, he sinned against the Father and against the heavenly Father and against the earthly Father. Sin has destructive uh, effects in our life. We're not just sinning against heaven. We're sinning against other people that can damage relationships. So he goes back, he turns, and he heads back home. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. It says, filled with compassion and love. He ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. Now, I would say most of us would have imagined this a little bit differently. We would have imagined us coming up to the doorway and with our head down low and our shoulders crumped, you know, uh, slumped over, knocking on the door, taking a step back in case daddy throws something at me, and dad opening up the door angrily, getting onto our knees, Father, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve anything. Please just take me back in. Please just let me be a servant. That's how we would have imagined this working out, Right? But it happened a little bit differently because as soon as the son crested the hill in that desert, the dad, it says the father, runs to him. Now, a few things we need to understand about this. A father's position in those times was a one of dignity and honor. Fathers in Middle Eastern never, 
ever ran. It was a shameful, disrespectful thing for them to do. And another thing that brought shame on a father, a man, is to show his bare white legs. And what would this father had to do? They wore tunics back then, so a father doesn't run all like that. A father would have had to pick his tunic up and hitch it up into his belt. And there goes the dignified father with his bare white legs showing, running to see the son. Picture that. Picture what that would have felt like to the son to be, to have this father like, what's he doing? What's he doing? Like, does he have a knife in his hand? Like, what's happening? Right? And the father just comes and he embraces him and he kisses him and he hugs him. You know why he ran to him? To get to him before the rest of the community did. Because what was the rest of the community going to do? Bestow shame and condemnation and guilt. Look what you did to your family. Look what you did to the name of your family. Look how you've wasted everything. Take him out and stone him. But the father beats him to it. And he covers him up. And watch what happens here. The son says to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. See, he rehearsed this and he did good. He said what he wanted to say. And the father's response was this. He doesn't even talk to him. He turns around and he says, quick to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and the sandals for his feet. Now think about this. Father runs and you're like, like this, and you get embraced, and you're still feeling guilt. You're like, Dad, I messed up so much. I just want to be a servant. I just want to eat again. I'm very hungry. And you would think like he would respond in some way, like, where have you been all these years? Why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to our family? He doesn't even respond to him. He says, quick, bring the best of the best. So this robe gets put on him is a sign of the covering of sin, renewed forgiveness, renewed sonship. That ring that gets put on his finger is a sign of identity and authority, right? The king's signet goes on to the wax to say this is from the family. And the sandals are a sign of renewed purpose. He has somewhere now to go. And all in this, this guy, this kid doesn't have a clue what's going on. I can imagine him just weeping and looking around and there's people, I'm sure the community is starting to gather at this point. Why did Mr. Jones go running? Look at his legs. Wow, they're white. All these things that they're talking about. All these things. And this young son is experiencing the outrageous, unfiltered grace of God. If you continue on in this, it says that the older son comes home. It says that the party began. In the New Living Translation, that's why I like what it said in verse 24. He said, he was, he said, for this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but he is now found. And in the end of verse 25, it says, so the party began. This is what I like. Meanwhile, it says the older son was in the fields working. While he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Like if you've been far from a loved one, because you guys were in broken relationship or if you've been far from God, when you come back to him, like you, 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 it's almost like we want a spanking. <laughs> okay, God, don't punish me too much. Don't hit me too much. I just want to be. And he's like, no, actually hit the play button on your iPod. We're about to have a dance party. You're like, I don't feel like doing this, but it feels good. And then you start dancing and then the party continues. 
Now what happens here is the older brother who's been with the father the entire time, had access to all the grace, all the mercy, all the favor, all the blessings, gets mad because that looks unfair. That looks unjust. I've been with you all these years. You've never killed the the fatted calf. He said, no, you had access to it all. You've had access to it all. And that older brother goes into the corner and pouts because he doesn't catch the revelation of his father's outrageous grace. Now, if you think about these things, the father never condoned the sinful behavior, but instead he gave a free choice. The father's heart was never disconnected from his son. Catch that. In this story, the father's heart was never disconnected, always ready, always ready. If he saw him coming from afar, he obviously was looking for him, wasn't he? The father kept an attitude of grace the entire time his son was choosing wrong. We think, I'm choosing wrong. God must be really mad at me. That's not the parable that Jesus told. The father was prepared to pursue and embrace the son as soon as there was awareness and repentance. There must be an awareness that you're doing something that's missing the mark. There must be an awareness that you're sinning against the father who loves you. And when you see the way he sees it, this is wrong, this is hurtful, this is damaging my life, that's called repentance. You're turning away from, you're turning away from the things that you're doing that's destroying your life and you just take two steps back to the father and he just comes running at you. It's not even I have to wait until I'm in prayer tonight. I have to wait until I get it right. I have to wait until I have all the right things to say. Let me look in the Bible and get the right verse so he's not mad when I start to pray again. No, you're turning away from sin, turning back to the Father. You take one. Okay, I'm nervous. You take your second one. Boom! Heavenly Father comes running at you. I don't know if he has bare white legs or not, but I know he's willing to pick up his tunic to run after us. What I love this is this. God, or the father in this story did not punish the son. He showed him mercy. He didn't say, I told you so, but this time I'll let you in. Boom, father, I've sinned against you. I'm not even worthy of God. Get me the best robe. Get me the nicest ring. Get me those nicely laced sandals. Bring them now. A sign of great mercy within this grace. And the father threw a big party. I want you just to close your eyes. I want you to think, this is not to cause any guilt or condemnation. I want you to start thinking of some things that you've done that would have been against God's will. When that thing pops up in your mind, I want you to say, I want you to say it. If you're willing to say it out loud, great. If you want to whisper, that's fine. You think of something bad you did, I don't care if the Lord reminds you of something in third grade, eighth grade, 12th grade, when you were 35, 45, 75, when he starts bringing things up, I want you to say, I'm forgiven of that. I'm forgiven of that. I'm forgiven of that. I'm forgiven of that. Just spend a moment doing that. Let the Holy Spirit bring up past mistakes. I'm forgiven of that. I'm forgiven of that. I'm forgiven of that. Thank you. Mighty grace of God. Outrageous grace of God. Just move even in this room right now. Your outrageous grace your forgiveness. As your eyes are closed, 
your heart is softened to him, I believe the Lord just wants to say to you, there is nothing too mean, too harsh, too evil, too selfish, or too vindictive that is too much for his grace to cover. You have not sinned too much that his grace will not forgive it if you just turn back to him. Your sin is less powerful than the grace of God. As sin abounds, grace abounds even more. I want to, I, I do, I feel like there are several people in this room that need to hear that today. I'm not trying to be angry or anything. I'm trying to be authoritative so the Holy Spirit works in your soul and in your spirit. Yeah, I want to pray. If you, if you know that you, you need to experience that grace of God fresh, I'm gonna ask you to stand in, that, in your place. I don't, I don't need everybody to say, I'm saying, if you, if you know you feel guilt, you feel condemnation, you feel weight upon you, his burden is easy, right? His yoke is light. He does not want you to feel the pressure of sin on your life. I just want you to stand up in your place. If you know you feel weight, you feel the weight of your sin. You feel any guilt, condemnation. We're gonna pray that the grace of God comes upon you. Absolutely. Listen, don't be afraid to stand up. We're talking about his grace covering you. This would be the last place that you should feel shame or condemned anymore. Just stand up if you feel that. You don't wanna feel the weight of your sin anymore. Not that, not that you just don't wanna feel that. You actually wanna be released of it. You wanna be forgiven of it. You wanna turn back to God. I'm not saying that those of you who are standing are far from God. I'm just saying you're, you're probably just believing a lie from the enemy that says you should feel bad for what you've done. And God's saying, no, actually you shouldn't because you're my son, you're my daughter. So in Jesus' name, we just pray for every single person that's standing right now. We just pray for your grace and your mercy to cover them in Jesus' mighty name. I pray for guilt and condemnation to be gone right now in Jesus' name. For every single person who's on their feet right now standing, we pray against guilt from the past. We pray against condemnation that makes them heavy. And we pray against fear in the future, fear of making another mistake, fear of God being angry with them, fear of punishment. We just pray right now in Jesus' mighty name that your grace, your waterfall of grace would come and pour over every single one of them. Heavenly Father, I believe that you want us to be an army of soldiers, of sons and daughters that are walking with authority and walking in power, walking in confidence that we are not having our sins counted against us, but that we are right with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So we pray, Father, for the waterfall to flow, for that waterfall to flow in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. If there's anyone in this room that doesn't know Jesus, and you wanna get right with God for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand right now. If you know that you're not right with God, if you do not know that you would go to heaven if you died today, and you wanna make sure your sins are forgiven and experience grace for the very first time, is there anyone in this room? I don't want you to miss a moment. Just raise your hand if there's anyone in this room. All right, that's good. Let's stand and let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, today we just rejoice in how outrageous you are. 
we rejoice when the rest of the world might say this isn't fair, this isn't just, this is the way your kingdom operates. And you're the king and you get to do what you want. And we're so thankful that you do what you want. We're so thankful that it looks this way. We're so thankful for your grace, your forgiveness, your empowerment, and your presence. God, we are thankful that we can celebrate the coming of the king in his birth. God, that seems quite outrageous how you played this all out, but we receive it in faith. We turn back to you. We turn away from our selfish ways and we embrace, we receive the embrace of the Father in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. amen. Go in grace, go in love. Have a great, great week. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.